Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, I am so tired. And I'm so angry. I'm alternating between both of these in very, like a very not functional manner today and this week, but especially today, uh, because I'll be like really energized and angry, and then it'll be just for like a short burst, and then I will be exhausted and feel like I should crash, and then it'll come back around and I'll be fucking pissed off again. <laughs> I was, I was. I was rage practicing some Beethoven earlier, uh, which was really satisfying until I finished and then realized I'd been clenching every muscle the entire time. So now my shoulder's angry at me. Understandably, note to listeners, don't rage practice Beethoven. Um, It's been a stressful and a difficult and a long day. And right now, listeners, you find me in a moment of fucking tired, Uh, hence the lower energy. (laughs) <laughs> right now, but I, I'm trying to not let life and Susan Collins and Joe Manchin and Jeff Flake get to me right now because there's something we need to talk about here at the top of the show, and it is a beautiful, wonderful thing, and I'm not letting those fuckers overshadow it, and that is happy birthday, Noel. <laughs> And see, I thought this was going to be a sweet, vicious coming back as a comic lead in. But it no, was my birthday. no, it's about you. you and your birthday and you're wonderful. And I didn't tweet it out because I wanted you to think I'd forgotten it. And so that I could then we could have a like, lovely moment like oh. we had on the podcast. Kate, Kate, you did a bit. I did a bit. Look at that. I'm not you very did a good bit. at them. I promise I won't Allison's do it again. I'm going to be so proud of you she that you did be. a bit. No, no, because, um, yeah, it's it's Noel's birthday this week, everyone, and Noel's wonderful, and he is a wonderfully supportive friend and podcast partner, and by all, by everything I can tell, just all around person, and uh, and and I'm very grateful for you, and I'm grateful to have my faith in humanity reinforced and the positive male influences in my life. Outside of my family, you are you're one of the big ones. And so thank you very much for being you, Noel, and happy birthday. And I hope it was a good one. Did you do anything fun? Well, first, thank you. That was very sweet. And I, I, I try really hard. Um, <laughs> um, uh, no, so my person and I and a couple of friends of ours, we, on last Saturday, because uh, I didn't want to, I, I don't like to do anything on my birthday that is like me focused. Um, or for a birthday celebration. So we went to a cafe that I like, and then we did an escape room. Uh, that's one of the escape rooms here in Tacoma. And then we got ice cream. And I purposely chose something that did not put any focus on me and put entirely all the focus on, how do we get out of this room? What's this candlestick supposed to do? Did you <laughs> notice that wall open? No, I didn't. It's been open for like two minutes. <laughs> So that's that's what I did for my birthday is we did an escape room. And then actually the day of my birthday was kind of miserable because I went to go return some library books and pick up some more library books. Mm-hmm. Everyone go to your local library and support them. 
Um, but I didn't think it was supposed to rain, and then it just started pouring, and I was not dressed for it, and I did not have um, an umbrella. And so I got back um, 15 minutes later to our house just soaking wet, just soaked. And so, yeah, I made some I made some turmeric milk <laughs> and just kind of like <laughs> look pitiful on the couch the rest of the day. <laughs> eh, it's all good. First of all, yeah. support your local libraries. I'm 100% with you on that. They're amazing and a wonderful thing and something that millennials are very much keeping in business, according to statistics. Cause yeah. We appreciate them because they're wonderful. Um, but I've never tried turmeric milk. So next time I'm like, you know, soaked through, which by the way, the weather has been going by me will happen soon. Also by this lovely timbre in my voice, uh, I should probably be extra aware of for the next week or so. Yeah. Um, so this is for when, do you like heat up the milk or what? what is this? I've not heard of this. Right. So um, it's also called, um, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, um, Hadali, Hadal, Hadal. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that is, is you can mix it up with what you do. I do a very basic recipe of milk and about a cup of milk in like a saucepan. Um, three-fourths of a tablespoon, sorry, teaspoon, three-fourths a teaspoon of um, turmeric. And then a little bit of honey. And then a little bit of black pepper. And I just bring that to a boil real quick. And then let it simmer for a little bit and then I just drink it down. It's great. It's very, it's very good for sort of like inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've got a cold, it's really good for that. Um, but it's also just a very warm drink. And if you like turmeric, especially it's delicious. Um, but you have to drink it hot because otherwise once it starts cooling down, it becomes significantly less. Good. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, I find it really comforting and cozy, and it's a nice change of pace from, like, tea, mm-hmm. uh, which I just down in vast quantities once the weather dips down. So, uh, but I really like it. So it's it's a nice little, it's it's a nice little kind of warm thing that isn't hot chocolate. Yeah. Because I, I love a hot chocolate, but this time I of do it is yeah. easy to overdo it, though, right? It's easy yes. I mean, to, yeah. I had one at 7 o'clock this morning. Is <laughs> First thing. <laughs> now, do you melt the chocolate and do the whole nine, or do you just go for the powder? No, I just do the powder. Um, the whole nine's like a lot of work to do first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just do... I, I have a very decent sort of powder that I found. It's not like the good Godiva powder. Mm-hmm. That that stuff's delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so the, I just boil some hot water and then uh when i'm in a hurry i boil some hot water and then add some milk in with it Mm -hmm. um and yeah so i'm just very lazy when i'm making hot chocolate yeah well i'll have to try that turmeric uh milk the next time that i'm feeling a little little under and need need a warming up and don't feel like tea that'll that'll be what i go to next so uh, thank you for that i appreciate that you're Um, welcome you mentioned thank you for birthday wishes. Well, of course, of course. Everyone is making Noel's making me sound thoughtful. I am not the thoughtful one of this duo. He is the thoughtful one who sends like was thinking of you postcards and like everything. He's lovely. So, so everyone send Noel some love on Twitter at Noel R K. Um, you mentioned <laughs> earlier at the beginning that uh, we had some some happy news. Uh, and you thought that that's what I was talking about. And that is that Sweet Vicious is coming back. Uh, not as a TV show, unfortunately, alas. But as a comic, I'm very excited about this. Uh, are you excited about this? I'm excited about this. Uh, I didn't include it in our news rundown when I was compiling it, but I am I'm excited about this. And I also appreciated that this news came as the 
woman who created the show tweeted about the fact that someone tweeted about like doing a revenge fantasy, taking on like sexual assaulters. Uh, if you've got a script for that, start shopping it around. She's just like, I had a script for that. It got canceled by two dudes. And <laughs> so True. I was very happy to see the, that it's going to be revived as comic. Um, so I will probably be picking that up. Yeah, me too. Um, there's also, there was big news about Star Wars uh, this this week, the TV show. I don't, I don't care, but I'm aware yeah. that other people care. So for the pe- other people who do care, um, what, what do you know about this? What has been announced? Right, so uh, John Favreau has been attached to his Star Wars television show for a little while, and they released, like, a first image and a name, which is going to be The Mandalorian. It's going to take place sometime between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, which is a significant chunk of time, um, but it's going to deal with, a, obviously, someone in sort of a Mandalorian armor. For those of you not aware, Mandalorian armor is what, like, Jango Fett and Boba Fett wore. And they're a race of warriors. You're a little bit more familiar with the Mandalorians now because you watch some Clone Wars. And so the big the big news, in addition to the um, image that dropped, was that they've lined up a number of directors already for a couple of episodes, for like five episodes so far. So Dave Filoni, who heads up uh, the animated efforts of Star Wars, is going to direct an episode. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's directing an episode, which is interesting and cool. Uh, Deborah Chow, who's worked on uh, Jessica Jones, is going to be directing an episode. Uh, Rick, and I'm going to butcher this man's last name, and I apologize. Uh, Fumiyawa, uh, who directed Dope, which is a movie I heard really good things about, but didn't get around to seeing, is directing an episode. And then probably the big news of this is Taika Waititi is directing an episode. Um, <laughs> and so that should be interesting as well to see how he works in this sort of a framework um, for everyone who wanted him to direct a Star Wars. Now he's directing a Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I saw that list. And I was like, huh, Bryce Dallas Howard. I didn't know she directed. Interesting. And other names was yeah. like, yeah, those are good directors. And I saw Taika Waititi. I was like, that's awesome. Good on them. Yeah. Uh, looks yeah. like so. <laughs> looks like he, either there's, there's just a, a friendship connection there or yeah. he, someone's looking to dip their toe in Star Wars and this is a proving ground. So we'll see. I don't know another reason yeah. why a big name director d- directs an episode of a TV show, which is going to have money, but not like pilot. This is not like he's directing the pilot, I don't think. So it's not like he's getting paid the no, big bucks to, so. to set the tone. I imagine Favreau's doing that. I think it's Favreau or Filani that's directing the premiere episode. Um, I can't okay. remember off the top of my head. Okay. But either way, that's it certainly was interesting, and uh, I imagine... It'll be the the title will be the big reveal for a lot of people. But for me, I was just like, those are interesting directors. We'll see what they do. Yeah, no, and I, that's where I was too. I was just like, oh, those are really interesting directors. I'm not sure that's enough to get me to subscribe mm-hmm. to whatever Disney streaming platform is, which is where this will be distributed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's nice. At least that they're kind of taking some swings with directors here. Yeah, um, we had more news this week for TV. Heather's is airing. Uh, around Halloween. No, really, it is. Yeah, <laughs> but they, they've cut out two of the more troubling scenes, and it's just like, no. No, no one wants this. And, like, you've cut out some of oh. the problem scenes, but not, like, from anybody I know who has seen this, they're like, mm-mm, this was a bad idea. This is not a good idea. You shouldn't not do only, this. It's funny that you say that, because not only did they cut out some scenes, they're not actually airing one of the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right, because they're doing it as a five-part miniseries, but it was originally six. 
yeah. So yeah, no, they cut an episode out entirely. So it's just the whole thing's a mess. And I, I'm entirely convinced that Paramount was just like, wow, there hasn't been a school shooting in a while. And we've got all this great Brett Kavanaugh cover so we can air this. And it's just like, first of all, you haven't had a school shooting in a little while because school has been out of session for the most part. Well, sure, on a college mm-hmm. campus. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the also, other there, is just, there have been some school shootings this fall. So. Yeah. 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 So it, they're just not getting reported because they've got the Brett Kavanaugh cover. <laughs> yep. 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 Indeed. Um, so also in TV news and in TV news in Michigan, really? Okay, then. Uh, Damon Wayans is now leaving Lethal Weapon. Remember last week when I was talking about Lethal Weapon and how they did a good job bringing in their new co-lead and that would give the the show, should, you know, unless they bungle it, give the show new legs and, and help it, you know, transition for, and I could see it running another several years. Um, yeah. Wow, dude. Wow. Any thoughts on this? Uh-huh. I just imagine like the WB TV executives going, Ugh, we just we just salvaged the show. We we salvaged it, right? We, we, we rebooted yeah, it, right. right? Yeah, and it worked. Yeah, people liked yeah. it. Yeah, good critical reception. Yeah, okay. Son of a bitch. Can you picture a way that they bring this back for another season without no. Dana Williams? No, no, I no, don't. I can't either. I don't see a way that they bring. And the other thing is, is just like, I can't see them bringing it back without like Warner Brothers TV having to like really slash licensing for it. Um, Since by the time it comes back, Fox will barely have any money. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. It's just, wow. Just why, why don't you leave the show when the show is like on the brink of cancellation (laughs) and you're, you're running your co-star out of the show who also acted in a way that you know earned him his firing um and so just it just it boggles my mind but hey at least maggie lawson's getting a season's worth of some money i guess yes it's it's just crazy uh it's ridiculous i should say not crazy uh also in surprising news and much more Tears news. Um, Chelsea Peretti is uh, now is she leaving Brooklyn Nine Nine entirely, or just downgrading to like guest starring? She's got like a. Sh- from what's being sort of circulated is that uh, Gina's going to have like a short arc mm-hmm. in this season before she departs, so it's probably going to happen kind of early, I'm guessing. And then the the door is open for her to come back as often as she wants, but mm-hmm. she's pretty much done. Is okay. the implication? Yeah, and I think you know. We'll miss her. She's a terrific actor and super fun on the show, but they did fine without her. I I thought the dynamic, it was, they have so many people in that cast that they have plenty of different ways to move them around and play them. And they've really developed the relationship with with Holt and especially Amy uh, and also Peralta in such a way that they can fill that confidant to Holt's role that Gina used you know really slot into especially in the beginning of the show um so i think i think the show will be fine though i like them leaving that door open because you know that they will have a super deeper amount of fun if they do bring her on occasionally like once a season should the show live beyond this next uh season at nbc so um we'll we'll see but any other thoughts on that i mean it's sad but also the show functioned really fine when she was just like on maternity 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not, I'm not, like you said, I'm not particularly worried because the character dynamics on the show are so strong that it's basically okay that she's stepping away. Mm-hmm. And that opens, like you said, it opens up a really good slot for like Holt to have a kind of a rotating confidant per episode, which is always really good. And especially given like uh, Rosa coming out and then like how that dynamic can start being played up a lot more um, mm-hmm. in a mentor-mentee sort of relationship, which is very, hopefully they have plans to do that. And that'll be very exciting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but you, you make an excellent point. The, they had a couple moments with those two characters last season that really did progress that relationship as well. So that would be a, another logical place for them to go if they want to have... Um, more introspective Holt moments. So yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see how they address it. Uh, Our last bit of news here is just sort of like a wonderful moment of savoring victory and long deserved and overdue justice. Brad Kern is out uh, finally at at, at NCIS NOLA and also just generally at CBS. Uh, For those who don't know, this is someone, the showrunner, he was like back, he went back to Charmed um, who was doing NCIS different shows and working at CBS who with a long track record of harassing his, his, uh, his staff, um, sexual harassment and, and just completely inappropriate behavior yeah, that was just slapped on the wrist or just not even not even that much of a follow through from CBS. And uh, we had to give a shout out to Mo Ryan, who particularly followed up at, with and would not let this story drop. And like every time people started to talk about his Me Too gone too far, she's like, Brad Kern still has a job. Link to all my <laughs> our reporting I've done on this. F- um, th- that my words, not hers. Um so so cheers to Mo and cheers to finally now that Moonves is out at CBS a couple of the other predators who have flourished there um being driven out as well. So uh hopefully this is not the last one that we will see get get his or her walking papers um you know his mostly but I'll leave plenty of space for there to be a her who needs their walking papers as well. Um any thoughts on this? I think it's great. And like you said, basically all credit to Mo for getting this taken care So making sure that that didn't like slide under the radar at any point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just, it took them forever to get him out really. And it's really weird. So like he's out of the show and his very long-term contract with um, CBS studios is also kaput. So he's just, he's done. So, um, so. And that was a, a recent addition. Yeah. Until he, figures out a way to claw back like they all seem to try to do yep pretty much on that cheery note let's listen to some bob's burgers uh at the end of the show we're gonna be talking about the new amazon and i think it's bbc right co-production of king lear yeah it's bbc or bbc2 i forget which but yeah yeah, uh, that went on to Amazon Prime this past week. Uh, that'll be at the end of the show. But for now, let's go to our weekend TV. So we'll take a break, listen to some music, and come back with our weekend comedy. The right number of toys for you is for forever. I'm back. The right number of toys. Get your 
kicks. How about seven? Sounds like heaven. Eight could be great. No pants in space. More, 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 forever. More, 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 forever. That was one of the songs from this week's season premiere of Bob's Burgers. Uh, just one of the boys for now, for now. Oh, yes, more on that in a little bit. First of though, we're going to talk about the wrecked season finale, Mrs. Stanwyck and the Island Family. Then I'll talk briefly about Insecure, uh, their finale ghost-like, and there's just a bit about season three overall. Uh, Noel's going to talk about mom, go-go boots, and a butt cushion. Then we'll talk Bob's, just one of the boys for now, for now. And we'll round things out with Superstore, which also had its premiere back to school. So first up is Wrecked, which had their season finale. And it, this was just as satisfying <laughs> as I wanted it to be. It was so fun. And uh, the the, the what just once everybody they got the gang all back together i thought they really paid off some of these different moments the uh the chess piece was great uh, and the correct amount of lampshaded for my taste it might be it might have been too much for some people but yes. for me it really worked um i liked the just the 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 thing with martha being being declan's wife and it was so obvious um was a lot of fun uh and did even just like chet's various insanity <laughs> moments of insanity i thought this all really was a very satisfying two-part finale i'm glad it was a two-part finale too i thought it flowed very nicely and uh i will see if it gets did it get renewed yet we'll see if it's back for season four that i don't know off the top of my head i don't think they've been picked up yet what did you think i really liked it as well uh i laughed a whole lot like that whole all i do is win montage that they do mm-hmm. when people kept approaching the camp was hilarious and i really appreciated the it's steve and then the music starts playing and it's just like oh right he's bad oh no i legitimately thought that would work and it's just like this is a very good show this is very good um so yeah it, it was just everything was really well honed and really well calibrated i felt like and so there was like you said there was plenty of stuff that gets paid off really nicely like the chess piece, a chess mate, checkmate, <laughs> the whole thing, the whole thing is, it's just very good. And I think overall, it was just the fact that the show in this moment decided to just be very, even more self-aware than usual and sort of, but also willing to upend itself. Like that whole thing with um, Danny getting ready to do this basic home alone sort of contraption. And then all he really needed to do was the marbles. <laughs> uh, I kept waiting for them to to make a more distinct, like, have somebody else realize that he was straight up doing a home alone, down to, like, the heating thing on the doorknob, like, and then it didn't happen. Right, yeah, and uh, no one, and Owen never catches on to it. Yeah. And so, that was good, but I think also just the whole revelation that Owen's just really, really terrible, and so the whole... <laughs> Never been in a van fight, Chet? It's just very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the one guy, uh, completely different different part of the episode, but the, the what was his name? Actually, his last name actually being Island was lovely. And then getting... Uh-huh. Yeah, and it, it, it was... it was yeah. A, yeah, Bruce. Thank you, Bruce Island. Um, it was a satisfying and fun way to end the season. I think this is... I think I would go... Is this my favorite season? I think I liked season three better than season two. I'm not certain yeah, if I like season three or season one better. Because season, I think that probably I had more fun in season three, but season one had the novelty of exceeding my expectations significantly. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how I felt about yes. that. 
But um, but I it, I it just sort of made me happy watching this uh, finale and and kind of enjoying that this is such a peak TV show. This would never have survived in a different era. Um, but in peak TV, we get to have three seasons of it at least. So um, yeah, it was it was a fun end to the season, and I loved that they did not shy away from just shooting these guys in the face. They're like, yeah, I killed the guy. Yep. I'm kind of messed up about it, but, like, not enough that I wasn't going to shoot a guy in the face. <laughs> right, and I appreciate that even, like, the little end of, like, the little flash forward that we get, which is, I think, a very good sequence in, like, its kind of quietness. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, allows, doesn't give anything away for, like, season four in terms of how they're coping with what they've gone through. Mm-hmm. And instead, just seeing Owen and Danny trying to make contact. Um, and also discussing... Who might still be dead or who might still be alive? And also, can you picture young James Earl Jones? Kate, can you? <laughs> or has he always been old? <laughs> and the answer is, unless you unless you just watch a lot of old movies, he's always been old. <laughs> uh, good times. Like, the only time I've seen James Earl Jones young is in Dr. Strangelove. That's the only time. Yeah, I have to think about it. Because, of course, I first... Field of Dreams is where I first knew James yes, Earl Jones. Yes, yeah. You know, as, as a physical yeah. presence outside of his voice, obviously, in Star Wars. But, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not like he's not old in that, but he's playing a very crotchety character. So, like, that aged him as well. So, yeah, I don't know. That It was a fun little exchange. And we'll see. Hopefully we'll get a season four. Um, but if not, I, I've enjoyed the three seasons of Wrecked. And I, I, it's one that I would encourage people to put, like, just to seek out and enjoy, especially if they're looking for a lighter um, uh, more quickly paced kind of comedy, and uh, it's exactly the kind of comedy I've needed in a week like this week. So, you know, it's it, it was a uh, very well situated in my viewing schedule for these past few months. Uh, also, very well situated for me has been Insecure. I really have enjoyed this third season. I haven't talked about it each week because Noel doesn't watch it, and I haven't had a lot more to say besides the performances are really good. I'm really enjoying the arc that they're taking these characters on. I like that it's become very much a two-hander between Issa and Molly, and we're following both of them, and the the the... The things we watch them discover over the course of the season and come to terms with over the course of the season are all really uh, compelling and interesting. Um, I liked the ghosts of relationships past and the finale. I thought that worked really nicely. I'm uh, curious what's going to happen next season with Lawrence. I liked that they back away from having Issa and Lawrence get back together, which would be the easy and uh, fan service thing to do. Um, so we'll see what happens with him now going out with a mutual friend of two of the, you know, Issa and, and her, um, her circle, you know, of four friends, of three friends that, that, that force him. There's now like uh, some mutual friendships with friends of friends that could lead to more fun things in season four. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, I liked what we also got with, with Nathan here. And it seemed like the performance is such a small, like short, not many scenes performance in this finale, but it, I felt like the actor was really conveying like that Nathan had been through some shit, uh, which would explain his absence for just disappearing out of nowhere for a month. Um, and I thought that the show, the writing particularly, but the, the performances as well did a good job of some level of awareness of that with also if you were not, you know, going to give him the time of day because he just disappeared for a month 
uh, that would be completely appropriate as well. So I, you know, I, I think that they've left themselves a lot of space for next season with that if they want. And I am very curious to see what the writers are going to do. So I, I, it's been a fun season. It's been an interesting season and a well-directed season, a well-performed season. This is such a solid show. It's such a, a compelling and interesting and nuanced show with such distinct characters that I just so enjoy spending time with. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where the end of the season, we'll see where season four begins, like where the end of season, like if they jump forward in time, I can see them doing that. Or if they pick up right where they left off, it's, it's been certainly an, a, one of the more satisfying, you know, I guess continuations and follow-ups on that I've seen this year. I felt like it was a really natural progression from season two to season three. And I, I, I kid the sense that it's more mixed. The reception has been more mixed, but for me, maybe just because I haven't had to like re- review it every week and write up a lot of thoughts, you know, thoughts on it. And I've just been able to just sort of enjoy it more passively. Maybe that's why I, I feel like I am more positive about it than other people, but I, I just have been so impressed by Issa Rae as, as, you know, uh, co-creator and star and writer and all of that she does with it as well as just like the the time that the show spends with its the directors the you know the the time that they spend with the characters just sitting with them and thinking and letting the audience into their head so it's been a strong season and it's certainly one that I will be remembering at the end of the year I don't know if it'll be top 10 but it's certainly going to be in the conversation for me so uh for for a show that I haven't been talking about week to week it is one that I've really um enjoyed having having with me for these past eight episodes so let's move on though because no i'm getting parched so you talk a bit please if you would about mom go-go boots and a butt cushion how's this season gone so far uh so we're only two episodes in uh the premiere was like fine i wasn't bowled over by it in part because i really wanted to return to this story that happens in go-go boots and a butt cushion which deals with uh chrissy's gambling addiction uh, which was a uh, story element that came in towards the end of season five. So I was really eager to see them engage with it again in season six. And it didn't happen in the premiere. And I just went, but this is what I want from this show. And so, but season two is basically all about um, Chrissy coming to terms with the fact that she is indeed a gambling addict. Because a lot of it has to do with the fact that she's getting really frustrated with gamblers anonymous. She's not sharing. She's not really engaging at the meetings, aside from the fact that gamblers anonymous apparently has excellent food, like the best food. Um, (laughs) And so she's sort of grappling with the fact that she doesn't think she needs to go, even though she clearly needs to go. So she ends up talking to one of the folks who goes to the meeting. And I really like how they conceptualize this. Um, and I don't know how much of this is like particular sort of discussion within uh, Gamblers Anonymous um, with gambler gambling addiction. But the other folk, one the other person in the group is just like, you're either a cucumber or you're a pickle. If you're a cucumber, you can just lay down and lose a bunch of money at Vegas and leave. And you may go like a long stretch of time without necessarily gambling. You're a pickle if you lose all your money in Vegas and then you move to Vegas. And the entire concept being that a cucumber stays a cucumber, but can very easily become a pickle. A pickle can never become a cucumber. And so I really like that sort of conception and the realization that Chrissy comes to in this episode that's really well played is that she ends up getting a lot of um, 
refund not refund money but overpay money from a like a scholarship tuition type thing Mm -hmm. so all her law school stuff she covered it and then she got a little bit extra left over to like do books and that kind of stuff after her tuition got paid so she basically had five thousand dollars and then it became an issue of like all right well can you do some controlled gambling to find out what you are Mm -hmm. and then the realization is is that i'm a gambler if i have money with me and so there's this really good scene in her car in front of a nearby casino where she ends up putting $5,000 in the trunk because it's talking to her. <laughs> we don't get to see that. But like she's called everyone and it's just like, I really need everyone. And so everyone rallies and she comes to the realization that she needs to continue going to Gamblers Anonymous. So I really liked how all of that got played out. There was some solid like joke bits um, in it with the pickle stuff I thought was really good. Um, but generally this is the kind of thing that I always feel like mom does really, really well. So I was really enjoying this episode and it also Yvette Nicole Brown was back as her AA sponsor and she's so good on this show. She's good on every show, Mm -hmm. but she's, she's really good on this show. And so she was really, uh, her character was really pushing Chrissy to keep going to Gamblers Anonymous to find a sponsor in GA and all this sort of stuff. So I was really glad to see her back because I figured with uh, the mayor canceled uh, that she would have some space in her schedule to start recurring again on mom. And hopefully, knock on wood, she start, she keeps popping up because she's really great on the show and she brings a very different energy. So yeah, that was, that was mom. It was a really solid episode and exactly what I look for in this show. Yeah, that sounds interesting. And I, you know, I appreciate the... The, the awareness and the curiosity that the show seems to have with its characters and uh yeah season six it's still going strong so that that's great that's great uh, our next episode is boss burgers just one of the boys for now for now um which i when i saw that title i was like really we're doing another boys for now episode but then the episode basically becomes just tina fantasizing about boys um and i was like fair enough <laughs> i'll give it to you I, this is still far from one of my favorite episodes of the show, but uh, I particularly enjoyed their voice casting and who they brought on was delightful. Um, and the, the reveal at the end made sense. I, I was actually more invested in the subplot about the baby rat than I was in the main <laughs> plot. Uh, but I thought this was fun. And certainly I'm glad to have Bob's back. What did you think? Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the fantasy numbers and I enjoyed how they kept, they fed into really nice sort of um, stereotypes about boy band members while not dealing directly with a boy band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like how they all had really good music videos as well. And, oh, David Diggs slayed. Yeah, David um, Diggs, Andrew Rannells, Rory O'Malley, yeah. Uh, yeah. Josh Gad. Who else was there? Mm-hmm. I think those were the four, yeah. Yeah, it was a, and, and, and then to be Diggs. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, it was such a good group. And the numbers were all really inventive. I liked the last number of, like, how many boys? All the boys, for now. <laughs> it's just the, yeah, it's, it's all fine. And so I appreciated that. I appreciated a little bit of Tina's sort of awareness that, oh, oh, I, I am boy crazy. Okay, well... Okay, I can deal with that. And but the rat stuff was good. I appreciated the whole. They're never going to use that table, and you know it. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I thought it was particularly funny. Um, but I was also just like, Teddy, why are you trying to get the only place that you go to for food shut down? Why are you doing that, Teddy? Why are you doing that, Teddy? Don't do that, Teddy. Yeah. <laughs> just go to Mort's. Yeah. <laughs> Ask anyone else. Though it's unclear yeah. whether Teddy has any other friends. So, yeah. who knows? Yeah, it's super unclear. But I agree that this is not like a particularly like wham strong episode, but it was still... I still laughed a lot and I still really enjoyed my time with the episode. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of what mattered, especially this week. Yeah. Um, leading in, coming out of the last week and leading into this week, that the fact that I was just laughing and enjoying myself really mattered a lot. Yep. Indeed. And I think the same can be said about Superstore with their premiere back to school, which picks up uh, however many months later. And uh, the, you have that just bizarre opening, uh, which where we find out so good. that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that that Mark McKinney has. I don't remember the character's name off the top of my head right now. Glenn. Glenn, thank you. Glenn has been going to the diner where Amy's been picking up some shifts to 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 um like because she's on suspension because of the the sex stream with Jonah, uh, and so he's been going and just get leaving her twenty dollar tips <laughs> and just pretending that it's not here. It just it was just so weird and perfectly tonally appropriate for these characters in this show and uh i appreciated that way of handling the time jump uh time skip and uh progressing the the pregnancy and all of that so yeah it was it was it was fun even if i think towards the end i was getting a little tired of the setup and the the meeting in the back like where amy's upset that no one is is hazing her basically but they are jonah and it was a bit much i felt like they kind of ran it into the ground but i still enjoyed my time with it with this episode and i'm glad the show's back they did run it into the ground i absolutely agree and they after like the initial round with the meeting they didn't have sort of enough material to keep that going really well i thought so that was a little frustrating uh i think that the ultimate payoff of like the reveal that amy and jonah are actually involved with one another now uh kind of helps even it out just a little bit for me uh but i think that the cold open is just a masterful little bit of like writing and acting on everyone's part and then I think that the other thing that steals this episode away for me is that intercessional of the kid falling over in the book bag and then waving his arm up as people just walk by <laughs> is by far and away the best thing in the episode. And I just, I, I laughed really, really hard at that because A, immediately in my brain, I make a Blade Runner reference to a turtle on its back in the desert. And then B, I'm just like, that that little kid in a book bag is all of us now, and no one is helping us up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that it, yes, well stated. Yes, I'm I'm with you. Oh man. Okay. Any other thoughts on Superstore, or if not, what wins your week in comedy? Um, Bob's Burger comes awfully close, but I think I just really enjoyed that rec finale a lot. And there was a number mm-hmm. of just really good bits of business that we sort of discussed, plus everything else, like, sort of coming back. It's a red flag! It's just, like, it, it was a <laughs> slow clap of a finale for me, basically, of you you mm-hmm. had a very clear plan for how the season was going to go, and you executed it really well. So I'm giving it to Uh What about you this week? 
I want to give a shout out to the SNL premiere for the the uh, the school, like bring your dad to work or to school for job day or career day, or whatever sketch, which uh, Adam Driver playing. I want to say it was like Abraham Parnassus talk, who's ranting about his, you know, crushing his competitor H.R. Pickens into the ground um, in front of this classroom of like, I don't know. 10 year olds or something it was ridiculous and and driver doesn't blink for blink for a second um as you would expect and he's just really funny the only brings out a dead bird as his like prop to, to demonstrate so you can throw it on the ground and stab it with his cane and that's what you do to your enemies uh, <laughs> it was i'm just gonna really have to funny. watch this i didn't watch this particular sketch so <laughs> i'll watch this after we finish yeah recommended and also the fortnite sketch as someone who doesn't know anything about Fortnite, it was delightful. The physical comp, because like you, half the cast members or the people in the sketch are playing gamers, and then you have other cast members playing their avatars, like running around doing like the silly poses, you know, um, and like running. Okay, you guys are running into the wall. Okay, you need to, you you need to just pick it up, just pick up the. Okay. Uh, so, so as someone who doesn't know anything about the game, I could definitely relate, and I, I thought it was that was also really fun. So, a solid uh, performance from Driver, even if I was not impressed by other elements of the SNL premiere. But I, I mean, I got to give it to shout out to the Rex finale, but that insecure finale was really good. So, normally I would give it to Rex, but it just happened to air the same week as Insecure, which was all of the as funny as Rex in such a different way, but also really poignant. Um, and and thoughtful and emotional. So 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 points to to, to insecure with a shout out to Rect. Uh, now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend drama, reality, and genre. In drama, reality, and genre, we're going to talk a bit about the pilot or the premiere of God Friended Me. Then I'll talk just briefly about The Crown Season 2, which I finished up this week. Uh, Noel's going to talk about Frontlines, Trump's Showdown. I'll talk about The Dragon Prince Season 1, which I also watched this week. Can you tell I needed some escapism? Then we'll round things out with the season premiere, or season finale, I should say, of Winona Earp, Daddy Lessons, and War Paint. So first up was God Friended Me. You talked about this a bit in our fall TV preview, and I just got to co-sign everything that you said, because I thought this was very charming, much better than I expected, and uh, surprisingly pleasant. And I will be back, at least for now, to watch some more. Uh, I like the cast. Joe Morton, of course, is spectacular. He gets like a scene, but you know, you give Joe Morton anything, he'll do something with it. You give him something interesting, he'll do a lot with it. So we'll see what happens um, with the rest. I, I like, I, I think they're doing a decent job of threading there. It's God. It's an algorithm. It's somebody messing with him. Uh, I don't know 
you know, like, it, it is very much that early edition, but with Facebook kind of thing that we talked about. Um, but you know, I'll go with, I'll, I've watched early edition for years. So clearly I am the target demographic for some of this. And if they actually get into real discussions of philosophy and religion and faith and uh, coincidence versus fate, like that stuff, I would love to see, you know, we talk about it with a good place all the time. It's clearly something that we're interested in and I would love to see the show be curious in that way. I don't know if it will be. I'm not getting an indication of that from this first episode, but um, I also am not getting indication that it won't be. So we'll see. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, I think it's really good. I think Brandon Michael Hall is such a such a treasure already mm-hmm. um, that I just want him on TV all the time. And uh, Violent Bean acquits himself really well here, uh, getting uh, big CBS network money instead of CW money. Yeah. And <clears throat> Joe Morton, like you said, is just really, really great. Uh, surprise, no one. Um, and so I do think that, like you said, that the show is poised to engage in a number of really interesting discussions. It just depends on if they actually want to do them yet. And I want them to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really good, I, I'm sure you saw it, a uh, really good sort of uh, New York Times profile about The Good Place, uh, where they went and talked to the cast and crew a little bit, but also like the consulting philosopher that they have on the show and discussing sort of how they engage those questions and that kind of thing. And Godfriend and Me is very positioned to deal not only with things like religion, um, <clears throat> but also sort of the prevalence of technology and how that sort of ends up replacing that or supplementing that or distracting from that or distracting from just a sense of humanism as well, which can still come through even within this sort of a... Um, sort of a uh, religious skewed, we'll say, show, uh, since uh, Hall's character is an atheist with a podcast. How novel. (laughs) Um, And so I think there's a lot of really good concepts floating around in the pilot that they can tackle. Uh, Whether or not they actually do, like you said, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But I would certainly like it if they did. Yeah. And again, I feel feel like they have, like you said, it's a good cast, but they they have a good chemistry together. I don't necessarily, I don't care about the the relationship they want us to ship. I don't, I don't care. But um, I like the the banter and I like the rapport and there's an easy chemistry with them with like the whole like ensemble, I would say right away in the first episode that if they play it into the right way they build on the right way could uh really grow in a nice way so uh it was e- an easy watch and a fun watch and that has not been true of most of the pilots i've watched this year so uh points uh well done well done god friend and me one of the better probably the best hour-long pilot we've seen this fall is that accurate i think it and all american which hasn't premiered oh, okay yet, yes also all-American probably has the best pilot this mm-hmm. season uh, for the broadcast networks. Um, but uh, Godfriend and me is pretty close, I think. Okay, cool. Well, you know, l- listeners, let us know if you checked it out and what you think of it. Uh, I got caught up this week because I, I, I was needed more things to watch while I was trying to not watch msnbc and other things so i was uh and i had caught up with our viewing um and i just was not in the headspace yet for king lear so i was like uh maybe there's something on netflix oh i never finished the crown 
And King Lear had me thinking about uh, Tobias Menzies, <laughs> which had me thinking about uh, the, the fact that he's taking over for Matt Smith on The Crown. So I was like, I should finish watching that. And spoiler alert, it's really good. Everybody was right. It's really good. Um, I still think Carrie Russell definitely should have gotten that Emmy. But Claire Foy is terrific. Don't get me wrong. She's terrific. And the the... The way that they chose to structure the end of the second season, I really enjoyed. So I was glad that I had dipped back in. They they really center each of the last few episodes on a different character and give them a showcase and show a different chapter. It's it's very much chapters in the life of uh, of, of Elizabeth um, and those around her. So I, I particularly liked the Margaret Princess Margaret episode that we got. Um, which was more of Televerse favorite uh, Matthew Good, lots of him in that, and then the Matt Smith episode that they did, the Philip episode, flashback episode was very good, and the the when they do the Jackie Onassis episode that they did was very good. So it was a it was a very um, you know I I have lots of space in my life for a procedural right, and it sort of was almost procedural in the last few episodes because it was like which significant figure other than Elizabeth is going to take center stage, and then we'll see how it affects Elizabeth. Um, and I thought that that worked really well um, because in when you have a show like The Crown, you're following a, a figure for decades of their life. Um, the Queen, like, it's not going to be a tumultuous up and down because she doesn't actually run the country. Right? So there's only so many things that are going to change. And she's not like a particularly mercurial figure. You know, she's not a Princess Margaret who was going to do really outlandish things. So, so f- taking and really highlighting the ways in which Elizabeth has at different points um, done very ceremonial things, but then that, as the show argues, had very significant impact uh, in different ways and were actually rather bold moves compared to, you know, the tradition uh, of the crown. Um, I thought that they had, they threaded that needle well with the end of the season. So I, I'm certainly looking forward to uh, season three and when Olivia Coleman and uh, and Tobias Menzies take over. So that should be terrific. But um, it was a good conclusion to season two, and I'm glad that I made time for it this week or, you know, was distracted by that and not by Twitter for a few hours. Um, <laughs> tell me a bit about Frontline. I was going to watch this, and then I was like, no, I don't need something named Trump's Showdown in my life this week more than it actually is already. But what is this actually, this Frontline episode actually about? Right, so uh, you, pro- you probably do not need to watch this. Um, but this is a really solid sort of uh, two-hour recap um, slash, like, this is everything that's happened, basically, regarding, uh, the Russia investigation. Uh, so they basically start from the intelligence community, uh, going to brief Trump after he's elected, but before he's sworn in, when Comey is like, by the way, there's a dossier, and all this stuff, and that, starting that ball rolling, basically. So they cover basically all the highlights, draw connections so that you can see the sequence of events. And it basically goes up to with handled and montage because that's kind of how Frontline works now, especially with these very current events driven sort of pieces like this, um, where it goes all the way up to basically the Rod Rosenstein stuff that happened last week. 
week and a half ago uh, with the New York Times report about him suggesting the 25th Amendment and wearing a wire, whether he was serious or not. It's amazing that we're not discussing that anymore. <laughs> um, and so if you've sort of like been unclear about the sequence of events or have just sort of forgotten large chunks of it, because I just went, right, Sally Yates was a person for like a week. <laughs> um, then it's a really good thing to sort of refresh yourself on basically how this investigation sort of got started. Um, a lot of the particular sort of highlights, um, they do some personality stuff uh, regarding Comey uh, so that you can sort of refresh yourself on that. And so all in all, it's just sort of a really good refresh recap. This is where we are right now sort of thing, which is why I was saying like you in particular who follow this follow the news fairly closely don't necessarily need this but if you haven't been following the news or if you've just been like there's so much to keep up with regarding this this provides a degree of recap uh they don't necessarily have the space to do like a lot of the manafort stuff which i think is a shame um or some of the cohen stuff as well which is also like handled very briskly in basically the last 20 minutes but um, they can just start showdown part due with there and just keep <laughs> going. Uh, but like I said, it's a good recap of that. And I wasn't going, yeah, it was just, it was a good recap of that. So I think if you're looking for that kind of a particular news outlet and want it handled for you in two hours and you don't want to read a whole bunch of like box articles about it, <laughs> this is probably the best way to do that. Yeah. Well, and, um, I could see it being helpful if someone's like, so wait, what was the whole deal with this? And you're just like, I, I don't have... Watch Frontline. Just watch the Frontline thing. Yeah. I just can't explain it to you right now. I just... No. That would be a good... You know, sounds like that'll be a good refresher. So good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Um, The next episode or series of episodes we have here is The Dragon Prince, uh, which is a Netflix uh, animated show coming from the Avatar The Last Airbender uh, creators and um, and also Legend of Korra, of course. And this is I watched this in like an afternoon. I didn't realize it was only nine episodes, and they're each twenty five minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Uh, so it's I didn't know that either. Yeah, you can watch it real quick. I definitely watched it in. No, I won't even say a day. I watched it in an afternoon because uh, it's like three and a half hours. Um, and I I enjoyed it. It's like the av or the Korra is strong in this one because the, the one of the lead characters is voiced by the actor who played Sokka. So like it, and it's a similar kind of character. So, um, at least in personality. So I was like, whoa, how do I know what? Is, and then I looked it up and it was the guy. Was, I was like, Oh, well that would be why, um, that's part of why it felt so familiar. It is, they, they established their mythology in the world really quickly. Uh, it makes sense and works in, a, in an interesting way. There's, um, some, like they established like their quest pretty quickly, but it really felt very chopped up because it was only nine episodes. It did like that shouldn't have been <laughs> the end of the first season. Like it, it I really felt like it needed more episodes. Um, they get to a like where where we they get to at the end of the season does not feel like the and they they use the like the chapter in book naming yeah. you know uh, and it did not feel like the end of a book. So, like, it was like, okay. this is the end of a chapter. This is not the end of a book. Because, like, the way that they establish the show, you're expecting, like, a, a trajectory for the first season that's going to go from here to there. And then about, like, and they're on the path to that. They're on the And then about, like, episode 
oh, six or seven, they fork and they go there instead. And like as a it's like it feels like almost like a delaying tactic. Um and okay. if if this was like nine like the, like season one point oh and they're gonna have season one point five, that would work. Um You're right, sure. But but as a like it really didn't feel complete and it wasn't Yeah. It, the, and then maybe if it hadn't been called book one, it wouldn't have drawn those parallels to Avatar and Korra in a way where like those season finales really felt like season finales. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this felt like a, a blip on the road. Um, and, okay. and, and I hope that, cause you could see how the first, and I'm not going to say too much. Cause obviously I know you're, you're the one who mentioned this to me. I was had completely right. missed and it. And I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> you haven't watched it yet. So I don't want to spoil anything. Um, but like, you can see where, where you expect the season long trajectory to go. And that would have been a very satisfying one season arc. And then they get to what they expect the end of the story to be. And then that just leads to another wrinkle. And then that's where you have the second season. You know, like you could see how that was going to really work and make sense. And instead, I guess maybe they're going to end the first season. Like where we expect the first season to end is going to be the end of the second season now, uh, which is not satisfying. And nine episodes is a weird, really weird order number. So I don't know why they did nine, because they could have either cut stuff off, out and done eight, or they could have done ten or twelve easily. But there are some really great characters. Um, the magic that they establish is, is interesting, and they do a good job of setting up characters that will likely go... If I had to t- take some bets, I, I could feel confident... Um, like, I feel like I could sell either they're going to actually turn and break bad and they're going to turn and be good. Like I could, there's a lot of things they could do with several of these characters. Um, if they want to make them antagonists or if they want to make them protagonists, uh, they make sure that there's some nuance to each of the characters, both of the people driving the action and the people who are set up to be the bad guys who maybe won't be. There's some Zuko-ishness that they could easily play with um, later on. And uh, the animation looks looks great. I like the the performances, and it's a little familiar. In the like the there's three friends, and they're on an adventure, and there's a cute animal, and like it's like it's a little too similar for my taste, but I still enjoyed it. I still had fun with it, and I will look forward to your thoughts. So I will I think leave it there unless you have any questions. Well, I think a lot of what you're talking about feels very of a piece of what I've sort of experienced with Voltron, the legendary defender. Uh, with They also have very short seasons, uh, sometimes only like six episodes. And initially when they sort of shifted to that format, they really struggled with telling a cohesive story and one that felt worthy of that kind of an investment in terms of we're going to do all of this in two hours. And it's just like, did we really need that random standalone episode? No, we did not. You only <laughs> have six hours. Learn your pacing. And there was a decided amount of sort of, all right, we're chopping the seasons up as opposed to structuring them in this format. I'm wondering how much of what's happening with the show is them learning that or Netflix going, this is how this works best for kids. So let's do it this way. Mm-hmm. And fiddling with that formula a little bit I think is probably what's happening um, without having seen a single second of the show Um, but I do wonder how much of that is how much of the structure of this is being influenced by the distribution and structure 
of Netflix's other uh, original animated programming targeted at children. Yeah. And I do intend to try to next, the next time I need another similar show, I will be checking out Voltron. Um, that is on my list. That's on my mental list. Uh, but when I, when I heard some people talking about it on another podcast and they mentioned it was only nine episodes, I was like, Oh, Oh, I can do that. <laughs> so, so, so that was what prompted me to finally, I, I've been staring at it as I scrolled on Netflix each time being like, I should, I should watch that. I'll do it later. And and hearing that it was such a short first season was like, oh, okay. Then I won't like just get into it and then have to stop. Yeah. And then, you know, so listeners, check it out. Let us know what you think. Uh, our last episode for the Weekend TV is Winona Earp, Daddy Lessons and War Paint. And this is the so season finale of season three. And Winona Earp fans, um, please don't be angry with me. I was not very fond of of the end of the season. I thought it was fine by the end, but I think they like, they just messed up so much in season three. And for me, it all comes down to the utter bungling of doc and the whole making him a vampire thing. Hasn't worked. Hasn't been interesting. Was not convincingly or compellingly written or performed. I mean, I, I really don't give that to the actor. I think I really think it's down to the writing. They keep saying in these episodes, oh, he, he did that for you, for Winona. He became a vampire. It's like, but w- why? That What? That doesn't make any sense. They didn't show that. I don't think I missed an episode, so I don't know what they're talking about with it. It was confusing. It didn't make sense. It wasn't earned, um, as I've already said. And so much of the tension around the characters this season has hinged off of that that when i don't buy it it really makes a lot of the other elements problematic i thought the reveal with uh um julian worked well enough i thought it was fine i thought the actor actually did a, a pretty good job with that um all things considered and um the uh it was nice that they <laughs> and didn't just keep him dead <laughs> um but the and where we find where like they're set up for next season is interesting. I don't really care about the whole Garden of Eden thing, but like, fine, you know, like do something interesting with it. I, you know, I like the tension of where everybody's left at the at the end of the season. That for me works more. And Winona can't go in, but Doc can, and so then you know we'll see what happens. Uh, I like Nedley popping back up at the end because more Nedley's going to be a good thing in my book. But there are just so many steps this season that didn't feel earned and just felt kind of arbitrary including Nedley's resignation as well as that actor so sold that scene the, those like couple of moments that they gave him um and and uh hot becoming nicole becoming the sheriff and then like i don't know i just this was very much an off season for me whereas season two really i thought started strong and then kicked up into a whole nother gear when they revealed winona as as being super pregnant and and was had added stakes and urgency and creativity from that. This season, I think, just kind of got off to a, a wobbly start with the the way that they chose to handle the departure of the actor playing dolls and killing off that character, and then just sort of didn't quite recover. Then then soon after that, they did the thing with Doc that I didn't buy, and that I, for me didn't work, and that just really has cast a pall on this season for me. And and I'm the bigger went on herb stand of the two of us so um are you more forgiving of these two episodes or really of the season overall than i am or are you we in the same page no we're on the same page and i'm kind of ready to close the book as well mm-hmm. uh, um, just because at this point i've given it three seasons 
elements of the show that I really like aren't enough to balance out the fact that I just sometimes find the plotting kind of messy. I find the characterization a little uneven. I think all the doc stuff just doesn't work for Mm -hmm. me, uh, like you were discussing earlier. So I don't want to beat that dead horse or that undead horse or vampiric horse or whatever. Um, And as much as I sort of liked elements, again, of it, like I like a number of performances from folks and... I like some elements of the writing, but it just boils down to the fact that for me, a lot of it just, this season in particular just felt really slipshod. Like, mm-hmm. Bolshar's whole thing just was endlessly Stupid. unclear. And I just didn't understand it really at all. And the problem with Bolshar not being present enough as like a villain wasn't, was didn't help things really. And mm-hmm. that the show itself couldn't find a way to fill gaps to make that interesting was also just really troubling um, in terms of, all right, well, here's some other little subplots going on. And it's just like, no, this vampire subplot's not particularly interesting. Yes, we know Waverly's an angel. Can we kind of speed this up, please? And thank you. Um, That just took way too long to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, Megan Fellows just disappearing for the end yeah. of the season was not okay. Not okay. Um, she was so terrific at the beginning, and she was so great. And like the and the whole dynamic just, was great. And then they just like had her piece off. And then and then when when they revealed Julian, I figured yeah. that's when they're gonna bring her back, right, for the finale. Makes sense. Right. And then they don't. No, no. So as, as sort of intrigued as I am by the whole town getting like departed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um however that works and winona and nedley being the only two left mm-hmm. um is intriguing as i sort of find that team up because both those characters but also those actors have an immense amount of chemistry i don't care yeah. and um it's very difficult to come back when i don't care and also just the fact that i just went oh mercedes is back i liked mercedes but also we just kind of forgot about Mercedes and what's her name for a little while. It felt like as well. And I just went, okay, well, I guess I'm done is kind of how I'm feeling about it. So I'm very glad for fans of the show that it got renewed um, for fourth season that they'll be back next year. And hopefully they'll figure out some stuff. Cause I admit that I'm intrigued by the idea of Winona as sort of a guardian of, of like a chosen one guardian and, has a flaming fucking sword now, mm-hmm. but as opposed to Peacemaker, and I like the I like the potential retooling that that brings. But I'm also not convinced that there's enough there there to keep me involved. Yeah, and so I'm probably not coming back for season four unless it's just to kind of see the, what the premiere has, and then probably just be like, okay, I'm gonna watch something else on Fridays. Yeah, well, and and the um. Like the the there was just too much scattered, I thought, in throughout uh-huh. the season, and they didn't the episodes that worked the best were definitely the ones that turned a low budget into a feature rather than a bug. So like the the time loop kind of one that we had, I thought was one of the stronger episodes of the season. I thought that was, that was really mm-hmm. really satisfying and yeah, compelling. Yeah, it was really compelling. Yeah, yeah, and excellent performances too. Um, but it it took the we don't have a lot of budget and our characters are isolated and turn that into a strength. Then in this finale, when yeah. we've got Bolshar having his like court and it's just really sad. And there's like three guys there and he's supposed to be an all powerful world ending demon. 
or whatever. Um, it's like, really? This is, you're okay. And you have Mercedes. Like, don't get me wrong. Mercedes is great. But you just have her hanging around to be your wife because, like, it was just really thin writing. Um, and, and just an excuse to bring back actors and not a creative enough one, not an interesting enough one. Um, so, in like the, 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 now we're gonna have the revenants team up with, uh, Winona and she buries the thing and they can come onto the property, like all, of, like, so we could have a shootout. It just was very rote. Um, and I don't know, maybe not are- even a good shootout. No. That's the other problem. No, and maybe this is stuff that's in the comics. I don't know. I'm not familiar with the comics, but it just really did not. They didn't establish the stakes. They didn't get. It never felt like it was a fair fight or an interesting or compelling fight. And they never really even delivered on the creep factor of like the human trees, of like the evil trees, right? Yeah. They, so they had some really good ideas that just didn't really pan out in a meaningful way. And, um, and like Boba was another example of like a compelling performance that they knew they liked and they knew they liked that actor, but they didn't know what to do with him. Um, I was glad that they killed him off here. Um, so the next season isn't saddled with, with that character, but like, yeah, I hope that they can, you know, I keep, like, we've talked about this for three seasons now and I felt like they had like stepped up and like found their next gear in the middle of season two. And then it kind of petered out. And they have not found it in season three. So, Manona Herb, I'm going to be back, but I would like to be able to keep talking about you week to week on my podcast. But that requires you to step up the the, the writing game. So I hope that they do. Because they have, I still maintain all the pieces for a really fun, really yes. satisfying and engaging show um, if they can line them all up. So. We'll see what happens in season four, at least at the premiere. Uh, what wins your week in drama, reality, and genre? I guess God friendly sort of wins by default. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's kind of how that works. I mean, I can say Gundam Wing, um, Mobile Suit Gundam Wing, which I've been rewatching on Hulu and mm-hmm. trying to decide if that nostalgia factor holds up. And it kind of has, but uh, that show is also like 25 years old. Um, so God friended me. Oh God, that show's 25 years old now. It's not 25 years old now, but yeah, it's old. Yeah. It's old. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not Fair. as old as me, which is good. But, uh, anyway, what about you? What when you're weak <laughs> in the rest of television? In the rest of, I, I'm going to give it to the end of the crown season two. Okay. Um, and, uh, I mean, cause there are other, again, there are other things that I enjoyed, but that's, you know, the God friend premiere was, was strong, but, um, but no, the crown season two was really well done and i like i said i can't wait can't wait for olivia coleman and tobias Mingus, uh, menzies more on that in a moment um for their season three of of the crown so uh yeah that'll be a lot of fun now we'll take a break and listen to a trailer and come back with our thoughts on the the new production of king lear available streaming on amazon prime we'll be right back after this Know that we have divided in three our kingdom. It is our fast intent to shake all cares and business from our age, conferring them on younger strengths. What can you say to draw a third more opulent than your sisters? Nothing, my lord. <laughs> well, nothing will come of nothing. Speak again. Where's my daughter? By day and night he wrongs me. Every hour he flashes into one gross crime or other that sets us all at odds. I'll not endure it. 
Who is it that can tell me who I am? Why not by the hand, sir? How have I offended? You are old. You should be ruled and led by some discretion that discerns your state. Thou art my daughter, rather a disease that's in my flesh. Fly, brother. Fly. Here I stand, your slave, a poor, infirm, weak and despised old man. To whose hands you have sent the lunatic king? <laughs> I am a man more sinned against than sinning. Better thou hadst not been born than not to have pleased me better. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, we're ta- here talking about our uh, our thoughts on the new production of King Lear starring Anthony Hopkins, uh, Emma Thompson, Emily Watson, and and Florence Pugh. Is that right? I believe so. As well as a bunch of other awesome people. We will talk about them all. What I want to kick this off with, because I've talked about this over on um, uh, Podlander Drunkcast, an Outlander podcast, uh, which is where, you know, Outlander is where my affinity for Tobias Menzies really grew watching his terrific work over there. He's very, been very, he was very good on Rome. He's very good on a very small and weaselly role in Game of Thrones, but really astonishingly good on Outlander. A very difficult to watch performance at times, um, but very, very well done. He's in this as I want to say Cornwall. Uh, yes that's uh, correct he plays the duke of cornwall who's married to regan who's played by emily yeah i look forward to watching him like blow up and get huge uh even more than he is now uh when he's one you know the male lead on the crown coming up in season three um but i keep wanting to say tobias mingus uh because i was listening to the podcast of friends of the show uh david Bax and 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 tyler smith which is Battleship Pretension, and they had a director whose name escapes me because I listened to this podcast episode months ago, but this director who's apparently directed a bunch of really interesting uh, up-and-coming horror director um, who is friends with him and has been friends with him for 25 years. Apparently, Tobias Menzies, when he was coming up, it's pronounced Mingus, but it's spelled Menzies. And so... Okay. So, but he just goes. Bias he just goes Menzi- with Menzies now because that's what it looks like. That's what everybody says. Um, then that's just easier. Okay. It's sort of like the Steve Buscemi thing, where it isn't Steve Buscemi; it's Steve Buscemi. Um, but he's not going to correct people, and he's like, "Whatever you want to call me is fine." Yeah. So it's that kind of a thing. Um, yeah. But M E N Z I S pronounce Mingus or something like that. Um, which is just so fun and so very British. <laughs> I don't know what, exactly where he comes from, yeah. but like, there's a Z. There's no G, but apparently the Z sounds like a G. I don't know. Anyways, um, I was enjoying my time with all of the performances in this. We're obviously we're gonna start with Anthony Hopkins. We're gonna start with King Lear. It's King Lear. You got to talk about King Lear. Um, but I think for me, actually, the biggest strength of this production is the fact that they cast people like Tobias Menzies, like uh, like Christopher Eccleston as Oswald. It gets, like, two scenes. 
Uh, but he's so good. Like every single but two very good scenes. Every single part in this production has a, an insanely good actor. <laughs> um, to the point where you, you, it's it's a pared down production. It's just it's an hour fifty five minutes. Um, and instead of the longer, like you, there are productions that could go almost three hours of this. Um, so they really cut down on it. And I don't know King Lear well enough to know what all was cut. But I wanted to like follow each of them off into their own like plays about them because these performances were overall i thought across the board really really good um but i guess my first question to you noel did you have a similar experience and then if so uh are there particular people who stood out to you and then after that i guess let's go to anthony hopkins because i mean it's, it's king lear we gotta talk about we gotta talk about lear uh what, what was your experience with this right so i generally really enjoyed this um even if it suffers pretty heavily from what tends to happen to Lear when you have to approach it. Uh, is when you reduce it to plot, you tend to lose a lot of like the larger emotional stuff sometimes. Um, so it really relies a lot on the actors to kind of carry it. And we'll get to Hopkins, like you said, um, but he helps to move things along. But it also means that a lot of like the Edgar, Edmund, and uh, Gloucester stuff in the early going feels really haphazard and then you end up with it being the core of the end of whatever adaptation you're doing and it all feels like it comes about very very quickly and that happens here as well and so also when we're talking about actors john mcmillian makes a terrific edmund i think but it's also like that's ronald from chewing gum (laughs) And it's weird, Kate. It's weird. It's unsettling. Um, um, it's deeply unsettling. Um, but he's very good as Edmund. Andrew Scott's very good as Edgar. Um, but the the resetting it into this kind of highly militarized London, I think, kind of helps carry some of the abridgment through a little bit and helps sort of, again make sense of some of the stuff that happens at the end with like France at war with Britain and this kind of stuff and where Cordelia finds herself by the end. And so all of that I think helps with this particular sort of reimagining of it. And, but it still sort of reduces a lot of the good character work that is inherent in Lear and you need the actors. And in this case, in particular, like a lot of the costuming as well carries a lot of the weight. So the characterization of Goneril carries through really heavy, heavily for me, I think, in the costuming, which isn't a knock against Emma Thompson's performance as Goneril, because it's very good. But her whole sort of slightly futuristic Hillary Clinton sort of pantsuit sort of type of deal that they keep putting her in sells that particular version of Goneril as this core sort of political schemer. Whereas Emily Watson's Regan is in a lot more like flowing robes type of thing to really play up this sort of fluid, loose personality that she has. This is one of the scariest Regans I think I've ever really seen, which is really interesting. Um, So I think that it's really good. I think that there are a number, like you said, of really good standout performances. Like the idea that you would cast Christopher Eccleston to play Oswald of all people in this play is just mind boggling to me. But it's also, like, the most fun anyone's having in this, because he's just delightfully foppish. 
in this performance, and it immediately makes Oswald a much more compelling character than he often tends to be. But for me, the sort of like standout performance is Jim Carter, who plays Kent, because Jim Carter, I think, was born to play Kent. Um, because the performance is just really wonderful and really kind of pitch perfect. And probably like one of the best reads on Kent I've seen. Um, but I think that this is just generally a really good adaptation, even abridged. And a lot of it comes down, again, to the performances and also comes down to the fact that Anthony Hopkins really, I think, holds this together. How did you feel about Hopkins' performance? Well, and again, I'm going to come back to the fact that I am not very familiar with with the uh-huh. play. I have not seen it sure, before. Sure, sure. I have not read it. I, I know of it. You know, I'm aware of it. Yeah. I know enough about Shakespeare to to know all the beats of it. And of course, let us not forget... Uh, um, Canadian show season three is King Lear. Oh, uh, Slings and Arrows. Yeah, Slings and Arrows. Thank you very much. I was having a total brain fart. You're welcome. Um, which is my only experience to like the closest I've come to seeing Lear is the stuff from Slings and Arrows season three. Um, however, the, I thought H- Hopkins was terrific. I mean, he's eighty and he's playing Lear. Um, and watching which him is the correct age that you want exactly that. watching him play this, it's like. Wait, you're telling me he played the same character 30 years ago? Why would you... I mean, he's very, very good. Obviously, he's been an amazing actor for ever since people have known of him. Um, So, like, it's not like he couldn't do that 30 years ago. But, like, this is how old Lear should be. I can't imagine a 50-year-old... Like, in stage, it's different because you got a little more distance in the lighting and everything. Like, it's a different experience. But, like, this is how old Lear should be. So, watching him... Uh, and he's clearly just, he's such a, uh, when he wants to be, such a present actor and so so uh, creative and he knows when to play things big and when to pull things back and um, he takes his time and like, I, he, he's just, he's, he's a master in his craft, taking a very juicy part and a part that he knows in his bones from, I imagine from doing it. So, you know, 30 years ago and doing it at that level and then coming back to it again with new perspective at this different stage in his life. Um, so, so he's terrific. He's really, really good. Um, but I actually had a lot, I was like, my takeaway from this was, Oh, this isn't that good of a play. Uh, it's a bunch of good scenes, but I don't think it's actually yeah, yeah, yeah. that good of a play because I think we're missing very, like, if I would, I have notes for Shakespeare, <laughs> which I know, like, don't get me wrong, guys. I get it. I get what I'm saying. I understand what I'm saying. But I feel like we're missing really important context for Lear at the beginning. And maybe there's something that that's usually there that got cut. But the way that it opens, I, there's no opportunity for me to get invested in any of the characters before uh, Lear banishes Cordelia other than I know I'm supposed to like her which is the only reason I do like her at the beginning and uh and I know it's supposed to be a big deal but then we go to we follow you know she gets sent off immediately and then we get uh Lear with Goneril and he's just being really obnoxious and a terrible house guest so I'm not with him <laughs> when 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 he's uh, lashing out at and attacking uh, Emma Thompson. 
I think the 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 play, the production does a really interesting job, uh, like makes some really interesting choices with getting you to fully understand where she's coming from and also where Regan's coming from, Gonorla and Regan, when they're like, so he just disowned his favorite daughter who he's made a very big point of that's his favorite, you know, and he doesn't really like us that much. Uh, and that was out of nowhere. So we, he's, he's going to do that to us too. Like they didn't do enough to get any, for me to feel like the respect for Lear from a character like Kent was earned or justified. And so then I had a hard time buying into or investing in Lear, in Kent, in Gloucester, in any of these characters. And at the end, when they're trying to like overthrow the, Goneril and Regan and they're they're you know there's gonna there's tension between them and then the France comes in with Cordelia and we're supposed to think like they're trying to restore Lear to the throne why would you want him back on the throne like he has not proven himself in any way to be a good leader or somebody that it would be good to have him back on the throne um so like I just feel like the, the play doesn't do enough to to make me actually care about any of the people outside of like individual really powerful beautiful gorgeous scenes and moments um and and i think that that more nuanced approach as opposed to just making evil daughters and good kings been betrayed um is more nuanced and more thoughtful and more interesting i wouldn't buy it <laughs> if they went like the harpy route um especially with what the dialogue is uh but I, you know, it was, it was, it, it sort of was sort of like a curio for me where I was like watching a bunch of terrible people destroy each other and Cordelia's there, but she gets killed before she gets to do anything. So I can't really even invest in her. Uh, that, so I had an, I had a very interesting experience with, with King Lear and I expect very strong responses from people who t to tell me I'm blaspheming because I know it is such a beloved play. Uh, so so Noel, you you're you seem much more familiar with it than I am. Please tell me all the ways in which I am wrong. Uh I am fully open to the possibility that I have completely misread this and am missing the point and don't understand the brilliance and I would love to understand it. So what what did you think of Hopkins' performance and of just my reaction <laughs> to this classic? Well, I think Hopkins' performance, like I said, really curious thing. And one of the things that you talked about where he knows how to pull back and when to take really big swings is something that's always been present in him. But we also have, like, I feel like he also has sort of forgotten that he can do that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Normally he's phoning um, it in. Like, most of the things I've seen him recently is yeah. his paycheck. And so it, it's just so satisfying and right. engaging to watch him actually care about a project. Right, and that I think matters a lot in this performance that he legitimately cares about this, and um, and feels like he does care. And the other thing I think that really matters, and this is across like the entirety of the performances, is that it's really pleasant to watch Shakespeare performed by people who legitimately understand what they're saying. Yes, as opposed to we know our lines, we kind of know what they mean. And this is a credit to also to the adaptation is that this is a very accessible adaptation of Lear in a dialogue perspective in that nothing is really lost. And if anything is a little unclear, then it's made clear through bits of physical business that the actors do. And I think Hopkins excels at this in part because everything he says is perfect in terms of the delivery and in terms of sort of how it gets embodied. 
And I think that that really matters. And it really boils down to he understands what he's saying. And he's done this before. And he's just lived with this kind of character knocking around in their brain because Lear is a part that a number of actors just want to do when they get older. It's like the role to do when you reach a certain age. Sometimes you do it a little too early, like Kevin Klein did it like way too early. God bless him. Um, I didn't see it, but it's just like, buddy, you were not old enough to be playing Lear right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think that, that that makes a big part of it. So like watching his slow descent into madness, um, I think gets hampered by the fact that this is a very plot-driven adaptation of Lear as opposed to a very character and emotional-driven version of Lear, which is how the play functions. And I think that that might address some of your larger particular issues um, that you're having. I will say that the play basically opens exactly as this does. Um, So they just do it all right off the bat. Mm -hmm. All of it. And it just happens. And I think that there's a degree to which character involvement in character um, is sort of scene driven um, even in the play Um, but I do feel like that they end up adding up to that kind of moment where Lear is railing against the storm with the fool and uh, with Kent sort of like in the background a little bit and then they find um, Edgar slash Tom and the weight and power of that doesn't come through in this at all. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that the scene in which he's... Because that whole sequence, that whole speech of railing against the storm is basically as hard to do as to be or not to be is and make it compelling and interesting. There's virtually no way to do it. And so Hopkins' decision to really... And the production's decision to kind of underplay how very big that moment tends to be i think is really smart but it also because of the sort of situation we're in where we have to cut to this sort of um refugee camp almost or displacement camp um robs a lot of the the energy of it and having to do a cut and having to do a time lapse of like stuff uh robs a lot of that energy of being able to see this totally collapsed Edgar. And so this is what I'm talking about when I say like the through line of Lear gets lost in this sort of truncated abridgment and being able to see the follies of everyone and to watch and understand where Kent's coming from of having, remembering Lear in the sense of that this is my king and he did so many great things And I remember this version of him, but now I see him collapsing and I want to protect him. And I'm going to protect him however I can is really noble, which is one of the reasons why I think Jim Carter is so perfect for Kent, is that he really understands that concept. But because of the fact that what we get is Goneril and Regan just being terrible and Lear also being delightfully terrible and Hopkins's jovial horribleness especially in that first sequence with Gonorrhea is just amazingly well executed um but it's also not enough to carry the abridgment I think and like you said it falls I think you're absolutely correct in that it falls victim to terrible people doing terrible things but that's like literally every Shakespeare tragedy <laughs> well 
Yes, but and there's usually. I will also follow up and I will also follow up and say that of the four major tragedies, Lear is probably my least favorite. But I also acknowledge that is that I'm not. I feel like I'm not old enough to appreciate Lear yet, mm-hmm. and which is why, like, I really enjoy Othello and Macbeth. Probably of the of the four bigs, so those are like my two favorites because they're just very clean cut. And also, Macbeth is just spooky, man. <laughs> but go ahead and say what you were going to say. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No, you're good. Um, yeah, the thing is, in the other tragedies that I'm familiar with, the ones that I've read, okay. there's at least one character for you to like and root for, and maybe that's supposed to be sure. Edgar in this. Um, yes, it's supposed to be Edgar in this, and the fool to a lesser extent, and Kent to also a certain. Yeah, but I feel like in this, first of all, uh, Andrew Scott is that his name? I think is is his name. Um, yes, is a terrific actor, but it's this exact same thing, exact same thing as Jeremy Davies, where it's like, oh, is he going to do his twitchy thing? Oh, look, he's doing his twitchy thing. <laughs> when I remembered that he does like his yeah. like he puts on the role, he pretends to be mad. Uh, you're, you're supposed to ask some questions as to whether he actually is at cer- certain points. I was like, oh, he's going to do his twitchy Moriarty thing. And then he did. Um, so when he was just sitting with Lear, like, I was uh, captivated by his performance. And when he was doing, when yeah. he was, when he played it smaller, uh, I was so with him. But as soon as he went more heightened, it just, I immediately checked out from, from that performance. So I was sort of like back and forth with that one. But like, for example, like the, pretty much any review you find of this will remark on the scene with King Lear with the shopping cart and justifiably so, because it's a brilliant decision. Uh, and it works, that scene works so well. It seems t- terrific. And that was probably my favorite uh, Scott scene performance in that moment i also loved how they introduced him like at at his office you know to, and taking the, the yes. eclipse thing and making that like he's like an uh, astronomer or something like that um was really mm-hmm. cool such a fun thing to do um but yeah i had so so i because of that i didn't connect to edgar the way i was supposed to and uh you're right carter is terrific He's so good he's so good as kent and every time he was doing something for Lear, I was like, he hasn't earned this. <laughs> so I want to like go to to Shakespeare and be like, okay, here, dude, you need like a short act at the top to establish the dynamics and establish the history and even like lay some groundwork for Regan and Goneril. I actually really like, like I said earlier, the performances from Thompson and Watson, I thought were terrific as Goneril and Regan because yes. like, I am full on team them at the start of the play. And you mentioned Regan being scary. So when, when, and Cornwall is also very like upfront, right? And, and this is, he's very straightforward. And then when they like pivot to like, let's gouge out his eyes, this will be fun and yeah. a little sexual. Um, <laughs> which is, which is not always how that scenes gets played. And like Regan sort of like getting impatient about the eye yeah. gouging. It's also not something that super happens a lot. So I really appreciated like their take. Yeah, I thought that it was like, oh, that's really compelling. And it's showing someone progressing and changing over the course of the time in a really interesting way. I think Goneril just starts it straight up like relatable. (laughs) And 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 then you see her get become more scheming as it goes along. Some of that stuff was cut for time. They cut like a lot of the subplot stuff with her and um, Edmund. 
which I frankly I don't think they needed. I thought they did a pretty good job of like by having her husband see uh, from behind, figure out the uh-huh. fair, fair that way. Like they they skip over some stuff that I think I'm sure would have helped in the progression of that character. But Thompson I thought was just ter- absolutely terrific in that performance as well. Um, but I I wanted I wanted to be able to actually invest in the progression of Lear. And to, to me, because of this, the, the way it's written, you never start out seeing him. You don't, I don't feel like you get a, a strong before. And so then as you watch him decline, it has less, for me, it had less power. Um, the moments that you would get of, of Lear uh, from Hopkins, where you could like these moments of lucidity and where you could see, and, and clarity, I thought, uh, worked really well and like hit towards that, which is what the performance needs to do. And I thought Hopkins delivered on that. But I think for me, I didn't have a clear enough picture, even in those moments, like when he's being just an asshole with the, like his his men. Is that him starting to slide, or is that just what he's like? Is that supposed to be baseline? He was a good king, Lear, when he's just being a dick. It's a it's a little bit of like not it's not baseline it's it's very say your question again yeah so is that supposed to be yeah, sorry like the the because the guy that Kent and later Gloucester are loyal to right and the guy and the the king that that Cordelia loves and that has been a good king and is and, and that people are trying to re- restore to the throne at the end um is that who he is is that what we're supposed to think that he is or is he already begun declining and he's not that's not indicative of the good king that he was because i it was such a um uh robert baratheon <laughs> kind of thing which obviously we're is you know Robert Baratheon is a declining Lear. Don't get me wrong, but um, the of just like someone who's just drunk and making like being like harassing the staff and demanding things all the time and being a pain in the ass and not like in destroying your house, being a terrible house guest. So when when he, when Goneril pushes back and says, "Dude, you need to you're destroying my house." Come on, and he just immediately disowns her and he like lashes out so strongly. When he lashes out, obviously that's supposed to be a, a shocking thing and the switch in personality and you could very easily interpret it as like a degenerative disease, a mental disease, right? And I think that comes through very clearly. But does that mean that the good the good king we're supposed to root for is the one who's being an asshole? <laughs> no. Um, I do think that it's supposed to be sort of part of this decline. And Again, like it's it's aggressively about like pride mm-hmm. and this idea that he needs to be told he's loved. Yeah. Also, and this is not a good fucking week for that for me. Men in power needing to be caught. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fair. That's super fair. <laughs> um, but I mean, he starts off with needing to be told he's loved, and so by having to go through that um, and having that said to him in a lie, and then having it pulled out from under him um, when Goner was just like, you're destroying my house. Also, why do you need 100 of these dudes? You're not doing anything. You're just galloping around. You don't need 100 people. 
um, is that sense of like he's it's all like pride and everything, and so and that insecurity and watching him crumble is the tragedy of like not realizing that that one bond that was true and founded on uh, founding on just the natural bond between a father and a daughter um, were the one true things. Um, that's the tragedy of it is like not seeing that and needing that reinforcement of you've been king so long or that you just assume that everyone's going to kowtow to you, even if you're stepping back, even if you're dividing up your kingdom and you're dividing it up wrong because you can't see the, this, you can't see Goneril and Regan for what they are. And you've become, so that's what it is. It's like, this is part of the decline and the eventual fall. And, so that's what that is. is. And I don't think that there's necessarily like a overwhelming desire to put him back on the throne. Um, but there's definitely sort of a, all right, well, we can at least sort of end this war <laughs> and then maybe put Albany back on the throne or like it actually depends on which version of the play that you're reading um because it's either implied that albany or edgar end up king um which is the this wisely just sidesteps that question entirely (laughs) um so i don't think there's necessarily like a rooting for lear but wanting lear to realize that that love that he shunned was the only legitimate thing and that was left in his life and that's what you're rooting for is not so much putting him back into charge, but at least realizing what Cordelia said was true and pure and correct. And the process in which he comes to realize that too late is the tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. And I realize I've really steered the conversation into straight up, Noel, please explain Shakespeare to Kate <laughs> as opposed to this specific performance. No, and specific- and I, I felt bad, like kind of getting getting into this. No, so I apologize. No, 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 no. That that's what I specifically okay. what I asked you about. So I appreciate your 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 okay. insight into it. Um, but I did really because I you know again like I said for me it worked so well on a scene by scene basis and um, it's interesting. I, I think it also speaks very much to. Um, when it was written and the perspective of, of Shakespeare uh, and the, the performances and stuff at the time to just like straight up shortcut that Goneril and Regan are obviously they're evil. I mean, look at them. They're women, <laughs> you know, because like nothing that I and it also could be choices for the, this production. Nothing that you see see from them early on gives me any reason to think that why should they not be perfectly lovely um, you know, regents or leaders of their areas when they start to now try to want a, the, the like strife between the two of them and scheming against each other, then that obviously that's, you know, but like starting from a baseline of assumption of, well, of course they're, they're terrible and they shouldn't be in charge because they're women and you know how women are. I, I like, I, there's a strong sense of the, of misogyny in that. Um, and I could see, I can imagine how that would be very easy to play into. And they were actively trying to subvert that in this production, which I appreciated. Um, but, but I thought, you know, you, like you said, you could tell every actor was invested in their character and knew their character and understood their character and was fully committed to them. And that's how you get like, 
Oswald being one of the most interesting and fun <laughs> characters in the production. Uh, I, I do think that the Edgar and Edmund stuff was less successful than I would have liked. And I think that that is just, again, I would put that down to the writing because Edmund is just straight up a Yago villain. He's just like, my dad's been a dick to me my whole life. So I'm a burn it all down. It was remind me very much of Don John. <laughs> I think Don John's, in fact, a better comparison in part just because, like, Iago doesn't have any motives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he keeps changing them. Yeah. <laughs> Edmund at least has, like, a legitimate motive of, I'm tired of being looked down upon because I'm a bastard. I'm just going to burn everything down. <laughs> Including my brother, who has done nothing to me wrong ever. Not his fault. He actually loves me and is totally trusts me and we have a good relationship, but I don't care because I'm pissed off at daddy. Um, it, it's such a comparatively broad thing when you look at that versus what's happening with Lear and with those performances and what's happening with Goneril and Regan, the way that they make that more incremental over the course of the episode or the episode, the course of the, the play. Um, so it was interesting. Any other, and you know, we haven't really talked about Broadbent, but he's so good. He's so good in this. Right. He is. Yeah. And Gloucester is that kind of a role that Broadbent's sort of perfect for and that he, Gloucester can very easily be a little fussy and a little sort of wishy-washy, mm. and that's Broadbent can play that without a problem. So when he gets to like some of the heavier stuff towards the end, mm. uh, you also remember that Jim Broadbent's a really, really good actor that can really knock really dramatic stuff out of the park without even like worrying about it. Um, and I think that comes through really clearly by the end. And like as quiet as that like death scene is, and it's a very quiet death scene, which I really, really appreciate. Um, it's really potent because of how quiet it is and that decision to be quiet in this tumult of like a war is really smart and it's just really affecting and he's very affecting as well. Mm -hmm. Are there any other performances uh, you want to mention or uh, or little moments that we haven't gotten to? No, I don't think so. Um, I did keep being distracted by some of the set design because I really do think that the, that the ha Goneril's house was the same house from um, the Agatha Christie thing we just watched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the Goneril's, not Goneril's, Regan's house is, I'm, like, 80% positive in Poldark a lot, <laughs> I think. But it's also really difficult to tell because a lot of these houses look exactly the same. Yeah. Um, I do have one question for you that I do want to discuss from a stylistic perspective. How do the Edmund asides work for you as a direct camera address? I thought they were fine. Uh, and, and again, it was just very like, this is Shakespeare. Shakespeare does th these asides yeah. a lot. And I th feel like you, there's not a better, you could have him muttering to himself. But I think just going straight, break the yeah. fourth wall works just as well, and why not? And I actually very specifically liked when they used it as sort of like a voiceover transitional. There's a moment when they, they keep it going mm -hmm. while they cut to him. Like, so camp. Like, each finger curling around a door, like the Grinch or something, as he goes into Edgar's office. <laughs> um, uh the, but, but I thought that that worked really well as, you know, as, as a choice. And, and to help, it was more cinematic, right? Helped keep keep things moving. And uh, for me, I, I mean, I'm sitting down to watch King Lear. I am totally fine with a direct-to-camera address for the asides. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, they were fine to me. It was just weird watching, like, Edmund being the only one to get any. Mm -hmm. And then... But then closing it with Edgar's, I think, is also really effective. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was willing to sort of roll with it by the end. Initially, I was just like, this is a little odd that we're only giving this to really one character. And I don't know how to unpack that just yet in terms of why the bastard is the one getting the asides and the direct camera address. But I think that there's probably something there, but I don't know how much of it I need to read into. Um, was, go Do other characters have asides in the play? I'm pretty sure, but it's also been a very long time since I've read the okay. year. Um, but... Almost certainly. I just yes. figured that he was the only um, character who had a sides, and that's the only that's why he was the only one who talked to the camera. But I don't know the play, so <laughs> clearly. Yeah. yeah. Uh what about you? Was there anything else that we haven't discussed that you wanted to highlight? Um, just uh again, I like the set design, I liked the I thought that the camera work worked was what was well done. I liked how still the camera was a lot of the time in these like sort of mid shots. Um, or like full body, but like, ju- but, but still kind of close up, you know, like not as far away as you might expect. Mm-hmm. I thought that was effective, particularly I was noticing that with Goneril, um, in some of her scenes, especially later on, I thought that, uh, some of the choices for updating it worked very well. I liked that they just had Kent shave his head <laughs> and it went from like a really bushy beard and things yes. to be like, we're just do this. And assume that Lear is drunk and or uh, out of it enough that he doesn't recognize them and everybody else doesn't look at servants. So, like, I thought that that worked really well and was very efficient. Um, And, again, like, as someone who hasn't watched Outlander, that really chilling moment when Cornwall turns, that's that's Blackjack. So, (laughs) yeah, that's just a little taste. I was like, oh, yep, yep, dead behind the eyes. The little smile. Yep, that's... <laughs> Tobias Menzies can do that all day long, if that's what you ask of him. So, um, yeah, that was another... Because I, I wanted him to get more, because I'm such a fan of that actor. But uh, the little scenes that he got, just yeah. like all the other actors. The one that made the least impression was actually Albany. And that I think that was... I don't know. I wouldn't say that that's on the actor. I would say that they gave him nothing to do. So... Yeah, no. He, had, he has absolutely nothing to do. And Albany is, like, the least is like the most thankless role in this entire production. Mm-hmm. Um, arguably even more than Oswald to a certain degree, because you can have fun as Os- Oswald yeah. as Eccleston proves. You cannot have fun as like Albany. It's virtually impossible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was, I was surprised by some things. I was surprised how little Cordelia was in it. I just assumed she at least got like a monologue. Nope. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and how little of an impression that character makes you know she really is a functionary of everything else she's there so that we can you know see like this is the true expression of love and fealty and devotion and you've abandoned it and now we'll just bring her back for like a scene later so then you can kill so that she can get killed so that you can be sad about her corpse um so that you know yeah, it's a little too bad. But I was, you know, again, I was glad, I was grateful for this production. I really enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed, like, ex- actually experiencing Lear and having, broadening my horizons. I will be watching it again. Um, I will be watching it with, uh, I'm going to sit down with my parents the next time that we are looking for something to watch. We've already 
said we're going to watch Lear. <laughs> um, and I'm sure I will have a different take on it the second time and, and as I get more familiar with it, too. So I would love other listeners' uh, suggestions for different productions I should check out um, and different, uh, like, uh, edit. Ron! Watch Ron! <laughs> different takes on, on... Kurosawa has a... Kurosawa has, a, like, this luscious... Yeah. Lear adaptation called Raw. Of course. Uh, yes. And it's just really yeah. good. No, that it's really good. I know. I um, I'm I'm well aware. I'm well aware that's on my list of movies I should see. Don't get me wrong. Um so yes, yeah. I should watch Ron. Uh and uh but if there are other ones people would recommend. Also, I've heard a renewed uh buzz about how I really need to watch the uh Tenet and uh Tate's Much Ado. Uh, not yeah, much to do. So, so if the, I haven't seen it, if so, there are listeners, yeah. if out there, if there's a Shakespeare adaptation that you think I need to watch, let me know. I will like to watch them. So I, I, I very much enjoy them. I've seen a bunch of different plays, um, uh, adaptations of the plays, I should say. Uh, so, so let me know what your definitive Lear is. Let me know what your definitive various other Shakespeare's are. Sounds good. Please let me know too. And now I just want to sing "Breast Up Your Shakespeare." Okay, um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post of this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there, or find us over on iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We'd appreciate ratings, reviews there, or over at Stitcher where you can find us as well. And of course, we're both on Twitter. I'm at theteleverse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you for a really good week, Kate. Thank you for a very lovely this part of my Friday. I'm going to try to stay in this little happy bubble as long as I can. We'll see how that goes. Maybe I'll watch some more Slings and Arrows tonight. Maybe that would be a good there way to, go. to round out my day. Uh, anyways, on that cheery note, thank you, Noel. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.